What's up, everyone? This is Under 1000, where your hosts, Jacob and Sam. And today we're looking at Odalis, a single player fantasy action and exploration title that follows the grizzled warrior Haggis, a former soldier who must once again take up his sword to save his kidnapped son, and perhaps the world. Set against the backdrop of a dark fantasy world abandoned by its gods, this game is a love letter to classic NES adventures like Ghosts and Goblins and Castlevania. You'll traverse a diverse set of environments from abandoned aqueducts to frozen mines, face a twisted cast of enemies and bosses, and try to salvage some meaning from the mysterious cataclysm that's tearing the world apart. From a gameplay standpoint, Odalis is an effective homage to its inspirations, combining elements from its more linear, adventure-focused ancestors with modern exploration tropes and technical capabilities to create a retro Metroidvania gem that any fan of the genre can enjoy. Yeah, so most of our listeners will recognize the term Metroidvania, but for those that don't, we're going to pause and do a little bit of background on that. Uh, And even those who are familiar with it will probably get a new perspective and learn a little history. So the word itself is a portmanteau of Metroid and Castlevania, the two series credited with spawning the genre. Uh, Metroid, uh, in 1986, was a divergence from other contemporary adventure games with its non-linear layout and permanent power-ups, in contrast to more linear games that sort of only gave you temporary power-ups for your character. And this was a calculated move on Nintendo's part to try and diverge from that. Castlevania, separately, um, while attempting to sort of add exploration to its games, inspired by the Zelda games, would also experiment with nonlinear exploration in the late 90s. Uh, and I think it's probably safe to say that the bedrock of the genre sort of solidified in the late 90s um, with Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night. This is the game that, these are the two games that every Reddit comment is about when you're trying to figure out what <laughs> Metroidvania is to play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't played either one of them. Yeah, Super Metroid was literally before I was born. So... <laughs> The, uh, the genre is seeing something of a renaissance, though, now, um, and has since the mid-2010s, uh, which saw Guacamelee in 2013, Ori in the Blind Forest in 2015, and Hollow Knight in 2017, um, all Ooh, of which oh are boy. fantastic games. <laughs> yeah, I know you love Hollow Knight. <laughs> I'm replaying it right now. I'm playing it for the second time. And like, like I think you said when we were discussing this, you don't replay games as a rule, generally. There's always something yeah. new to play, especially these days, uh, with Under 1000. And uh, I, I generally don't as well, but... I mean, there's just there was something calling me back, you know. I was yeah, sitting there like I said. thinking about how much I missed it, going "Ba Panada," you know, <laughs> like, just, just <laughs> exactly. not as, not as happy with uh with not playing Hollow Knight. Yeah, and it's like I said, um, a lot of Metroidvania games are kind of like it's like it's like dating. Like the first date is good but it's like kind of awkward and it's like kind of exciting but you're still feeling things out and when you go back to replay a game it's like the third date where you like know what's up and you're like pretty comfortable and you can actually start having some fun now yeah yeah it's like it's it's two months into dating yeah yeah that's more accurate yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, and in addition to the titles I mentioned, um, Koji Igarashi, uh, assistant director of Castlevania Simply the Night, actually jumped back in in 2019 with Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, another game that's mentioned pretty often nowadays as a good Metroid Yeah, and if you can't tell, he sleeps upside down in a coffin hanging from the (laughs) ceiling at night. (laughs) Yes. um, So... We've talked a little bit about the history, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to run right past that. Yeah, In Japan, Sylvania. (laughs) I would would cut that. Yeah. All right. No, I'm leaving that in. Um, So, yeah. So, like I said, we talked about a little bit of history, but what defines a Metroidvania from a design perspective? Um, In general, the mechanics are a variation on 2D platforming with more or less focus on combat, depending on the specific title. Um, You've got uh, titles like Ori and the Blind Forest, where it's less of a focus, and titles like Blasphemous and Hollow Knight, where it's more of a focus. 
The maps of these games are often huge maps that are retread pretty often, and parts of the maps will be inaccessible at the beginning until the player discovers some sort of ability or power-up to unlock those new areas of the map. The single person often credited for establishing the characteristics of this genre is Igarashi, um, who we talked about before. Um, and he also notes that these include designing maps that encourage exploration, but which still sort of guide you on a main path and provide a means where you can be aware of on, in the game world at any time. Um, they also include usually uh, visual motifs in different areas of the map and large visual cues um, when you've reached certain milestones in the game. Uh, this is particularly true, I think, of Hollow Knight, and it's also a huge feature of Odalis, which we'll talk about more a little bit later. To explore Metroidvanias more, uh, I would highly suggest checking out Metroidvania.com, which is managed by Jeremy Parrish, a video game journalist, and one of the people credited for popularizing the term Metroidvania, uh, although he credits um, his former OneUp.com uh, co-worker Scott Sharkey as the original creator of the term. But yeah, so that's just a little bit of background on the genre itself. And, you know, if you are not someone who's into Metroidvanias, um, please don't turn the podcast off. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back probably again uh, to talk about how much I like Hollow Knight. Uh, and that was the first Metroidvania that I ever played. And to this day, we were having the argument the other day about whether or not it's possibly my favorite game I've ever played. Uh, Under 1000 is all about keeping your mind open, right? That's why we're doing this, because we want to mm -hmm. play new types of games, so... Uh, yeah. And I think Adalis is a great introduction into the genre, and we'll get into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's cover the details about Adalis. So it was released on July 15th, 2015, and it was developed by Joy Masher, based out of Brazil. Joy Masher was actually developing both Adalis and Oniken uh, when Steam Greenlight became a thing. Uh, so both games became part of Steam Greenlight, and in January 2014, they released Oniken, to be followed about a year and a half later in July 2015 by Odalis. Uh, and Joymasher gives Steam Greenlight a lot of credit. Um, this seems like it was something that was a big jumping off point for them in terms of being a really small hobbyist developer to becoming a team of people that could quit their day jobs and focus solely on making retro games, which is their passion, it seems, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the, the tagline for their website is like, we do retro great or something like that. And it's true. I've also played Blazing Chrome um, almost all the way through, and it's phenomenal. Uh, it's a Contra-style uh, 2D shooter, and it's great. Right on. Yeah, I love when the research is just playing more games. See, <laughs> listen to our Murder House episode to uh, hear more about that. Like. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So Adalis is available on PC, Switch, PlayStation 4, and Xbox, and right now sits at 647 reviews on Steam with a very positive overall rating, and is $9.99, which I would say is a pretty good deal for this game. Yeah, definitely, especially get him in the um, multiple endings, uh, multiple difficulties, uh, a lot of playtime out of it, I think. I think we got, what, about maybe six to eight hours of playtime out of it? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, and, I would and say six to eight hours of playtime. Um, maybe a little more if you count all of my time smashing my head against my desk fighting the final boss. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the penguin. Oh my god, <laughs> fucking! I like blocked it out, dude. It's only been like a week since I beat this game, and the penguin is my mind has been like, nope, too much. Put it away. <laughs> you go back in the cabinet, penguin. Um, yeah, so uh, Odalis started as a small project um, back in January of 2013, um, and after releasing Onikin, Joymasher tried to like play with some different prototypes, 
uh, and see how they felt about, you know, going forward gameplay-wise. Odalis was the standout, and in particular, its slow gameplay and alienier level design was something that they wanted to explore more. Um, they built a demo and then started a crowdfunding campaign to try to pay outsourced uh, musicians and some sort of other people on the project. Uh, that was successful, and Odalis' full development started at the end of 2013. Um, it was funded uh, on Indiegogo as... Um, as one of the as a campaign there and they raised about seven and a half thousand dollars towards that that's pretty awesome seven and a half thousand dollars i was just at here we go as i've been replaying hollow Knight, i was looking back at the uh i believe they did gofundme campaign mm-hmm. or uh maybe a, oh no it was a kickstarter kickstarter i yeah. believe they did a kickstarter campaign uh, and they raised $45,000, which is amazing that people pitched in that much. But also, I think... Wait, $45,000 really cool. or 4500 $45,000. Really? Uh, yeah. And I think that that's both amazing just in terms of, you know, the, the hype for it. But it's also really at the core of what we're interested in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that people saw the trailers, gameplay, teasers, that kind of thing, the art done by Ari Gibson which is absolutely fantastic. I know this isn't a Hollow Knight review. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I think that and Odalis being funded are awesome examples of people making a decision about what content they want to enjoy versus choosing between the content that is offered to them. Yes. Right? There's something that is extremely inspiring and entrepreneurial and... Uh, really changes the the meaning of how you spend your time about investing in the entertainment that you want versus choosing the entertainment between, you know, what's already on Steam? What are big developers doing? What is already playing at the movie theater that, you know, some, it has studio, a $100 million dollar budget, right? Studio offerings, right? That's the difference. Is right. it, this is a, a, a work of art created by a team as opposed to a studio offering handed down by one of the larger studios. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this was actually um, the case with Blasphemous, too. I actually uh, funded their Kickstarter um, really early on in the process and was happy to see the project come to completion. And I think that in general, um, Metroidvania and sort of in the wider scope of things, 2D platforming games have become synonymous in a lot of ways for a lot of people with indie just because they're not easy games to make, but they're accessible games to develop. You know, you don't need a a cutting edge 3D rendering engine and a huge team of technical people. And, you know, like it's, it's not to say that that's an easy thing to do because I've, you know, played around with, you know, game development software and it's really fucking hard and I I gave it up, but, um, but but it is possible. It is possible and accessible for a small team to develop a game like that. And I think that the Metroidvania genre in particular lends itself to creating a game with a lot of depth that is accessible for an indie studio. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just in a lot of ways, it's just how much content can they make? You know, how deep do they go? Yeah. Um, So speaking of content, let's uh, run through the features. Uh, So there are eight levels open to exploration. There are huge bosses, sharp controls, rad 8-bit graphics, a thrilling atmosphere, two (laughs) game modes, including a veteran mode, two endings, eight plus hours of gameplay, 50 plus types of enemies and new skins. Yeah, and um, that kind of covers the background details of Odalis. Uh, and now we're going to get into our perspectives as we played through it and, uh, and talk through the game as we played through it from the beginning to the end. Um, this is kind of a new format for us, um, and we're experimenting with telling stories a couple different ways about these games. In the past, we've done a very limited, you know, detail-by-detail list, and I think that's worked for some in, in some ways, but uh, we're trying something new this time. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying a lot of new things today, you know? We're doing this new format. 
I'm in my new studio, which is uh, in the dark on the floor of my closet. Um, <laughs> and I'm drinking wine today, which is not something I'm usually doing. Usually I'm drinking a beer, uh, sitting back, popping off a bunch of bottle caps. And today I got a hydro flask uh, <laughs> so that it's like a, a big, big boy sippy cup uh, <laughs> as I drink wine in my closet. I got right. hydro flask mixed up with Camelback when you initially told me that. So I was imagining you just wearing a backpack with a little like thing over your shoulder, just like sucking down wine every now and then. <laughs> just sucking out of like a placenta, just like <laughs> full of <laughs> fermented grapes. That's um, what I thought you meant. And I was like, well, you know, if that if that's what makes the podcast work, that's what makes the podcast work. That's fine. <laughs> no, no. It's like a sippy. It's like I'm hiding from my family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, Which I kind of am. All right. <laughs> yeah, but so so moving on, um, this will be a new approach. And uh, in order to keep things, you know, pretty clear, we're actually going to start calling the podcast something different from this point forward. And if we change formats, we'll, we'll do the same thing. But to keep things clear, we're going to use the uh, the Kingdom Hearts method of naming things. So this is now under 1,000, 3.4 and a half, um, Awakening in the Dream redux re-recorded and uh <laughs> that re-recorded I, I, mean, I think this is our eighth episode so we have to go eight and a half or it's like our 11th <laughs> game so we're gonna have to go 11 and a half okay yeah but you get the idea yeah, yeah yeah it's long but i mean if kingdom hearts does it you know yeah yeah there's nothing questionable about things kingdom hearts did no no All very right. clear straightforward so getting into it alice uh right from the get-go the vibe is very clear it's dark fantasy uh, evil blood rituals, the world ending. Literally, the background is on fire. Is the world on fire <laughs> in the very first level? Yep. Um, you drop in and you immediately hit with like the rushing eight bit music. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the uh, square screen. Everything is on fire, and you're immediately you know that it's urgent right out of the gate. Yeah, uh, Haggis does his best Kratos impression, just being like, "My boy, I have to get. I have to find my boy." Yeah. yeah. Oh, he good. Yeah, he's he. His boy, you know, his boy, <laughs> his son. Yes, um, his, my son. Um, <laughs> yeah, the level in the first level is pretty simple. You're facing pretty simple enemies. Um, you do get your first alternate weapon here, which is something we'll talk about more. But the game introduces alternate weapons both as a way to give you sort of more combat options and as a way to open up passageways later on in the game. Um, but this first level, you get your first alternate weapon. Um, you already see some areas that you can't immediately access, classic Metroidvania, and you'll also face your first boss who gives you. Um, some small exposition <laughs> about the overall plot of the game. You're telling me something in this game wasn't totally clear about what's going on with the story. <laughs> yeah, so we should get this out of the way right off the bat. Um, the story is... Uh, Go ahead, Sam. Not- Go ahead and give your positive spin, and then I'll give my my take on this, this storytelling. I'm going to say that the story is subtly woven into the details of this game. So subtly, in fact, that you may not even notice it. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It's subtly, it's subtle in the way that like when you go to uh, like a friend of a friend's house and you don't drink whiskey and then he gives you whiskey and tells you that it's better than the whiskey that you occasionally drink without him. Mm-hmm. And then you just have to trust him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the kind of, uh, that's my understanding of it. Yeah. But after you finish the, uh, the first level hacking and slashing your way through it, it kicks you back out into your first view of the world map screen. And this is sort of where you get your idea of how the game is structured and what the game is going to look like. Because the game kind of straddles this interesting space between a more like level divided 2D platformer like Mega Man or something and uh, a true Metroidvania with a full explorable map that's all interconnected. So the world map shows you um, a bunch of stages and it has forking icons for which stages are available to you. 
um, from your current position. And you can choose to revisit old stages, retread old grounds to try and find new passageways. Uh, some of the passageways are branching, but there's a, a basically a primary route that you can go to for the next level. And it's, it's generally pl- pretty clear where you need to go next. So as you move through it, uh, so we find a few relics, um, you'll get through your first boss, maybe your first two bosses, and find... Uh, You'll receive some shards, and you'll wonder what they are for, <laughs> as I did. Um, at this point, you probably have found a few secrets as well. And this is when, like I said, this kind of shows itself as a good introduction to the genre for people, right? Like you said, it's broken up sort of Mega Man style into these levels. None of them are particularly long, right? Did, mm-hmm. Was it just me? Do you, you feel like they're they're kind of short? Um, and... The way that I play Metroidvanias at this point is always that I just follow a wall, right? It's like trying to get out of a corn maze. You just pick a wall and you just follow it and you just stick to it. And that way it'll bring you along basically every route you could possibly go. And it helps you avoid getting lost. Um, Between the levels being pretty easy to navigate, not being huge, um, and, you know, just using a basic strategy like that, you can kind of get that feeling for finding secrets and doing some platforming and noticing things that you might have run right past without it being this sense that is in a lot of other metroidvanias where uh, they want you to feel like you're lost yeah and i think i think that's sort of that balance back and forth and that gameplay cycle of like you jump into a brand new giant area. There's a bunch of forking paths and you're lost all of a sudden, but slowly, like you said, picking one place to explore, one way to explore and building your knowledge back up until you've got an idea of where you are at all times. And then you move on to the next area. And that's kind of the loop basically of how you navigate these levels. Yeah. And also because of the scale, I think it's easier to remember when you find a secret that you can't quite get to. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So you can have those like small aha moments and it's not like, when I was getting into the genre and was literally like drawing a map and writing down, oh, this some this thing I think is too high and I need to come back when I have a double jump or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, you, you can pretty fluidly remember those things without having to uh, feel like you're you're overwhelmed. Yeah, totally. And it, it's nice to be able to be like, yeah, I think that was back in the forest level or the uh, the aqueduct level or and that's I mean, and that's another thing. And is, just select the one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the levels are super varied. Um, they've got they've each got their own like beautiful music tracks. Uh, they've got incredible background art and contextual art. All of the enemies are relevant to the area that you're in. And um by this point, you've also hit a few of the bosses, which range from sort of like disfigured, demonic, humanoid creatures or monsters to um, more elusive, maybe like a wizard or like a, another warrior or someone else like that. So there's a lot of variants in bosses, even at this early stage in the game, too. You know, we're talking like maybe a quarter, halfway through. Um, and you've also probably gotten some good uh, platforming challenges. This is a simpler game mechanically than um, a lot of other Metroidvanias. There's not any like, you know, wall jumping or anything like that. Um, but it still does manage to add uh, quite a few good platforming challenges and especially like platform combat combos. Um, and that's really like the, I, I think that's like sort of the essence of Odalis is the slow paced combat because you've got no iframes combined with some pretty difficult platforming to create this like very calculated experience. And you're sort of getting the feel of it and getting to, down to speed with it. Yeah. And the good, the like get good factor is there. 
Yes. You know, but it's just that that arc of getting to the point where you can beat the bosses is a little bit less steep than it is in other games. Yeah. And um, I think we'll probably revisit this um, later on uh, when we talk about bosses in general towards the end. But yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, the game, like I said, reminded me a ton of Mega Man X at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Game I have a lot of a lot of great memories with. Yeah. Minecarts. <laughs> Minecarts. Exactly. <laughs> Minecarts. So uh, I see that you left a note here in the outline, Sam, and um, I know you brought it up already, but I just want to point out it says, I miss iframes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, I know I'm like usually the get good person on this podcast, um, but I kind of had to eat my words a little bit with Odalis because uh, in the style of some of the of an older game, you know, no, no invincibility for you. Um, and I... I I tried to dash through enemies when I couldn't do it. I panic jumped a lot and used the uh, invulnerability flashing for getting hit as an opening. Um, and yeah, it took me a while to realize that um, the combat needs to be slow paced. Patience is key. You know, like the impatience to try and like just get past an enemy or panic and like try to get away from them is what killed me so many times. This is a methodical, slow game. Combat yeah, it wise. really punishes you for panicking and it really yes. punishes you for being in a hurry, which I think is yet another box that or another, you know, point in the the team of this is a good introductory Metroidvania mm-hmm. experience. Totally. Um, yeah. So after having fought the first few bosses, how did you feel? If you're, you know, you're roughly, let's say, three or four levels into the game. How are you feeling about these bosses? I feel good about them. Their design is always incredible. The mechanics of the bosses, though, sometimes are a little bit. They, they feel like they're like a, a little bit off balance. And what I mean by that is that um, if the bosses were like a little bit more clear in terms of telegraphs and hitboxes and also had a little bit more health, it would have been a better experience. I think we talked about this a little bit in Hrot when we've covered that um, in our first episode or first released episode was that the bosses kind of felt like you like slammed yourself up against them and whoever was going to win was going to win. And that's not every boss in Odalis, but it is a couple of them. Um, I, I still think they're really good experiences, but I didn't start having to actually learn their move sets until pretty late in the game. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a couple of bosses early on that you can just panic and face tank. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I I really w- was in it to learn their attacks, but I very quickly became like the person who comments on their own YouTube video being <laughs> like, the face tank strategy is a legitimate strategy. <laughs> you know? So... Yeah, that's that's really big where I was there, but I, I will say definitely as you as you get further in the game, you end up having to learn those telegraphs and predict what the bosses are doing and know when the openings are. So moving towards the latter half of the game, mm-hmm. uh, we've done some bosses backtracking backtracking to get upgrades. The upgrades in this game are relatively minor, right? Uh, it's very yeah. old school. You get one sword, then you get a slightly better sword, and then you get a slightly better sword, and then that's you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get an armor upgrade. There is a hidden boss uh, who you can find through a series of rooms that you need to find who will give you a more major defensive upgrade. Yeah. Um, that is uh, an essential part of playing the final boss. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because these upgrades, I mean, they're hidden pretty well. Like, you could conceivably go through the whole game, and if you were, like, kind of an idiot, <laughs> you could make it through the game without getting any of these upgrades, which is... <laughs> terrifying yeah, in a, a way huge fucking idiot yeah <laughs> yeah that would yeah yeah dude yeah <laughs> god <Shucks>. damn it <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i see that you also left a note here that says the story is probably no more clear 
I don't like that I you're think... using your my own outline against me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is a good opportunity for us to talk about the contextual storytelling in this game, uh, yes. which I think you were really excited about. It is really not my thing, mm-hmm. but um, go ahead and, and talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, this was a big focus in the design of Odalis, and I know that because uh, Joy Masher actually wrote an article about it um, called uh, So Much to Tell, So Little Time, Contextual Storytelling and Odalis, and I'll include a link to that in the episode description because I think it's a really interesting read. Um, Basically, their principle was that a percentage of people who play this game are going to want to play the game and they're not really going to care about the story. And they said that that's fine, you know, but that they still wanted to include, you know, an interesting narrative and they had things they wanted to express and themes that they wanted to cover. And so the way that they chose to do that was through some hidden tablets that you can find as secrets, but also through the architecture of the levels, the enemies, basically everything is shaped by the story. You know, I think they did design like all the enemies in a particular level to look a certain way because of what they imagined the canon of that level was, you know? And even if that's not entirely visible, I think that the intention comes through and I think it still does give you like a pretty clear picture of the world of Odalis. And I think that that's kind of cool because really like you could design the entire game as if it were to be viewed by a player. But I think what what people who focus on contextual storytelling try to do is create a world that exists on its own. And if the player notices things about the world and puts together a story, then that's great. But if they don't, you know, it doesn't matter. The the, the world still exists. It still exists and it's better for it, totally. And it's super neat. I I think that it pays, even if you, like you said, even if you don't care about the story or get the full details of the plot, it pays dividends in two ways. And the first one is environments and character design are always better when they have a story, mm-hmm. right? Think about like, you know, one of my favorite character designers uh, of all time, H.R. Geiger, who designed Alien, uh, had a big focus on creating these organic forms that you could look at and you could tell how they fed, right? Mm-hmm. You could learn about their evolution from the way that they looked. Mm-hmm. And... That same thing applies to enemies and to levels that are well-designed. And Adalus is a good example of this, where they thought about not just what they wanted an environment to look like, but why it would look like mm-hmm. the way that it looks, you know? Yeah. Statue the, statues are there because presumably people in the world have built those statues, not just because they thought a statue would look cool there and dropped it there, you know? Exactly. And I think the this other way that this pays off is that Metroidvania games where you're backtracking... The, the whole idea of backtracking is very frustrating to a lot of players. And I think it was frustrating to me when I got into the genre. And I'm really glad that Hollow Knight was my big introduction. Um, and part of what I like so much about Adalus is that the level designs are good enough and interesting enough that when you backtrack, you're not bored moving through them. And even it's actually a little bit exciting in Odalis to revisit older levels once you have those upgrades, because then you're kind of like running circles around these enemies that used to give you a whole lot of trouble. You as Haggis with your like brand new sword, your upgraded armor, you're like double jumping around, you know, you can really make quick work of a level that used to like stress you out a lot. And you can get to those secrets more quickly than having to play through it at the same pace you saw it the first time. Yeah, it's fun to stomp through it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so moving on to the finale of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the after you play through the various levels, uh, you will get to a final temple that is very, um, we'll say end of Ocarina of Time style, red sky, lightning, and you're at the castle. Um, 
Yep. You'll work your way. Also, I believe, oh man, it's it's been a long time, but I believe Ocarina of Time style where you will fight through some uh, castle rooms of enemies um, mm-hmm. before you make it to the final boss. And here you'll also see some uh, upgraded um, rematches between you and many bosses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought these were some of my favorite bosses in the whole game uh, were the ones in the finale. And, and also just to sort of pull it back story-wise, we don't know much, but we do know that as Haggis, this swordsman, you've hacked and slashed your way through at least eight different environments, killing everything in your path. And, and you've collected along the way these shards that you've taken from you know, the bosses that you've been fighting. So you, 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 and we still don't know what they do. You assemble them into one gem. Um, and then that, uh, that lowers a barrier around this final castle, which is how you're able to get in. Uh, again, I think an Ocarina of time parallel. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And Haggis just figures out to assemble it. I mean, at this point, <laughs> up until the point where they tell you that it's assembled, he could have been sucking on him like rock candy. You know, <laughs> like we just. Yeah, I think every time you pick now. one up, it says like it gives you an uneasy feeling, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, All right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but right, yeah. So getting back on track, you get the boss reprisals, and once that's done, um, you you get a uh, you get entry to the final boss, and at this point. This involves, a, I'm going to say, an M. Night Shyamalan level twist. I pegged it at The Happening. Uh, what, what level twist would you peg it at? If I had to pick an onomatopoeia to describe how I felt about this game's twist, it would be, huh. <laughs> <laughs> which okay. maybe says a lot about my investment in the story, um, which is not a roast because I've already explained it's worth them having done it. I yeah. just didn't really care. <laughs> yeah, but he, that's what they said. You know, some players aren't going to care. And Odalis is still a great game to play through, you know? Right. We're a great sample of what they're talking about. Yeah. The final boss himself, I thought was really cool. Somewhat frustrating, but uh, an appropriate amount, I think. And, uh, and I think the, the finale of the game... Um, Let's talk about the two endings. I think it's impossible to sort of skirt around this. I'm not going to give, we're not going to do spoilers, you know, but I know that you got one ending to the game and I got another ending to the game uh, because I uh, went back and 100%ed it. So let's talk. How did you feel about your ending of the game? Huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so satisfied from a, 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 a player perspective, but maybe not so much from a narrative perspective, right? Absolutely. I mean, I had a great time fighting the final boss. Um, I will say, and forgive me, Joy Master, if you listen to this, um, my slight spoiler is that uh, if you find those rooms along the way that have hidden sigils on the wall and a, a scary looking gentleman tells you to keep finding more rooms, uh, find all the rooms and fight him because that hidden boss gives you an item and that item turns the first final boss phase from the most tedious and boring and frustrating <laughs> boss I've fought in a very, very long time into basically a completely negligible thing that you can skip past in 10 seconds and get to the second and third phases of the final boss, which are great. But anyway, play Odalis um, and, and let us know what you think. Yeah, actually, this would be a great game for people to play this game and then let us know, you know what they thought was difficult for it uh, during it because uh, I, you and I both fucking hated the penguin. Well, that's just, if you <laughs> didn't hate the penguin, shut off the podcast right now. Take your phone and drop it in a storm drain. Well, okay. okay I'm going to say it's a, it's, a, it's a good boss in the sense that every game has that one part of it, like the water temple, right? Where you're like, I don't know how the fuck I got past that. But, you know, and I think of the penguin as that boss for this game. I'm glad it's there. I never want to play it again. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm glad it's there. I just never want to have a conversation with the person who liked it. (laughs) Fair. But going back to the endings, uh, so I got a different ending. And my ending was, if yours was, huh, mine was, oh. (laughs) Because my ending was really fucking sick. I I mean, okay, we covered this at the top, but Odalis is a game in dark medieval times. Gods have abandoned you. People have become monsters. And the ending that you get if you 100% this game ratchets that up to a Lovecraftian level and just... it's incredibly metal and incredibly cool. And I think one thing we also kind of touched on briefly but haven't really covered is the cutscenes. The cutscenes in this game using the the retro pixel art style are beautiful and they're really, really well done. They're well directed. The art is great. And the the final secret ending of the game really, really like uh, capitalizes on all the talent that they have there. Um, I think it's a shame that that ending was gated behind the 100%. I would have loved for that to be the base ending and for us to get like, even, even if that were the base and we only got like another five seconds, if we'd hundred percent it, I would have thought that was more fair, you know, to the player that said I hundred percent it. So I loved it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I always just go for a C plus when I'm playing these games, you know, <laughs> 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 I can get a solid 78%. Let's go. Um, yeah, the cutscenes are really awesome. One thing we haven't touched on is the sort of life system where uh, you'll choose a level and you drop into the level. Uh, you have a set number of lives where you will respawn in a sort of Dark Souls torch system mm-hmm. where you move through the level and light respawn points. Uh, you can purchase more in certain levels from a vendor that's in the level uh, to extend your, your time in that level a bit. But when you do have the actual game over, you lose your final life while you're in the level. Uh, there's this really fucking sick cutscene where it's like your sword stabbed into the ground and it's like, do you want to continue? And you're like, yes. And then the hand like flashes and grabs the sword <laughs> again and you're like, mm, time to go. <laughs> you know, like we're doing another one, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, like I would say if I had to describe that cutscene uh, in like five words i would say um you in the litter box now <laughs> yeah <You know? laughs> i was wondering if that would see a see a comeback i'm glad yeah. it did yeah good it never went away so you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice well i think that that wraps up our experience of the game uh, i think overall it like you said it's a phenomenal introduction to the metroidvania genre it's a sick dark fantasy epic it has a dune reference hidden in it which you know that that was a big big i, I love that It's a, it's a perfect homage to retro gaming as well. I didn't mean to leave you a silence there, Sam. So. That's fine. I uh, uh, It's just for me and the three other people who are fucking nerds uh, being like, yeah, let the spice flow. <laughs> when, when people talk to me about doing is when I have my most like, that's nice, honey energy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, overall, good feelings about Adalus, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, If you like Metroidvanias, if you like Dark Fantasy, if you like retro games in general. And if you don't like Metroidvanias. You know what? Yeah. If you don't like Metroidvanias, you should play this game even more. Yeah. Play it harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is a hidden gem. The fact that it only has less than a thousand reviews and much like like less than 700 reviews is insane to me you know it's a great game and you should check out this along with all of other all of joy master's other offerings because onikin is supposed to be amazing and uh i can tell you from experience blazing chrome is fucking sick all right so as is tradition uh let's read some reviews uh from the steam store on odalis the dark hall all right uh my first review 
is from Ralph Wiggum. Okay. Sorry, were you going to say something? No, no. Uh, or are we going to let Mr. Wiggum speak? I'll, I'm sorry for interrupting Mr. Wiggum. Yeah, he has something serious to say because he, <laughs> he, he positively reviewed Odalis and said, it was like playing a retro Castlevania that doesn't make me want to shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Many of the reviews reference Castlevania, including one of my favorites, a contender, but not the one I ultimately picked, which was just Belmont Smash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it, it's tough to find reviews for this game, considering the the caliber of fucking nerds that play this game. Yeah, um, all insist on writing a minimum of seven lines. Yeah, yep. Luckily, Pork Hat didn't do that. Pork Hat wrote, "It's like Castlevania, not the way Castlevania actually was, but the way you remember Castlevania through your rose-colored nostalgia-powered goggles of your childhood." And I think that's pretty accurate. You know, like it, it gives you a badass feeling. It's got all those same elements: dark fantasy, exploration, secrets, all that stuff. It's all there. You know, all the good stuff you remember from back then. Yeah, and you know, I think that that's a way better attitude to come at it than um, Maddie Studio had. <laughs> In my second review choice, this is a negative review of Adalis. Oh, that's our first negative review, yeah. Actually, I think I did one a few episodes ago. All right, well, Um, um, I'm not paying attention then. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, every game is a recommendation. So Maddie Studio, uh, I'm going to read this the way that Maddie Studio wrote it with their uh, punctuation. Okay. Winning by cheat. What a damn hard game. And 5.2 hours on record, which means that Maddie Studio looks like they got stuck on the final boss. <laughs> Damn. I think that's the perfect ending to our episode on Odalis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this episode dedicated to Maddie Studio. 151 products in account. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Under 1000 Podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out Odalis, The Dark Call. And be sure to check us out on our Twitter at, at underscore 1kpod um, at our Patreon at patreon.com slash u1k and thanks to those of you who are already contributing to our Patreon. You guys uh, take a little bit of the strain off of purchasing a new game or two every month so that's great. You with the litter box now. Alright, that not that's it. That's it. For the next three episodes, that's it. <laughs> we're going to be, we're cleaning the litter, the litter box. Yeah, the cl- yeah, exactly. I'm coming by with a shovel and I'm just like waving you away. At the, yeah, yeah, exactly. I got one paw in the litter box. <laughs> Have a good day, everybody. Bye, guys. <laughs>